0: What about you is past tense? What, what about you is before something? What in your life that when people talk about you, you just want to say this phrase, I am no longer? What about you is no longer? When I travel home to North Dakota... My two older sisters still think I'm a 14-year-old moron. I am no longer a 14-year-old moron. 54, I don't know about the other part. But what about you as past tense? You bump into people from different parts of your life, and all of a sudden they remember something, and the only thing that you really want to say is, no, I'm no longer that. I am something different. That is the past tense of my life. I have been changed. I am no longer this. I am something different. That's what Paul wants to talk about today. He wants to talk to us about what is the no longer of our lives. What should be past tense? What should be former instead of what is now he's concerned he's concerned for his ephesian friends that some of the things that should be no longer are still present they're now instead of no longer and he wants them to experience all that they're supposed to be but they have to get rid of the other does it ever bother you You go to some places, and you know you're this postcard, and you're the no longer postcard of something that you once were, instead of the now postcard of what you are now. Paul's concerned about that. And so that's why he talks about what he does in the second half of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. He says, in the beginning of chapter 4, he says, therefore, walk. And now the next walk that he wants to make sure that we're walking is a walk of being changed. That we're no longer something that we once were, but we're becoming what he wants us to be now. Let's read the passage together. He says this, Ephesians 4.17 Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He doesn't want us to walk Like they did at one time because he knew the implications of it. Have you ever gotten together with somebody that's from a a no longer section of your life and you listen to them and you realize they're stuck in that no longer section and you're like, oh my goodness, I am so glad I am not there anymore. Have you ever had that experience? He's trying to explain to them that he doesn't want them just to be like the Gentiles. He goes on and explains no more about this. He says... They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is into them due to the hardness of their heart. You see, there was a time when we were really hard-hearted and we didn't act with thoughtfulness. We act with ignorance that we were alienated from the life of God. He goes on and says this about no longer. He says, they became callous and gave themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sometimes when we get together with the people and the thing that I always say that's unique about this body of Christ is so many of you came to Christ as adults instead of as children or teenagers. You came to Christ sometime later in life. And you know the difference between the no longer, right? And, and the now. And you know all the things that we were given to in the no longer part of life. You, you watch it glorified in television today. They're taking every era of life and creating a show to show how desperately sinful we lived in that category of life. In verse 20, he says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Just for a second here, all of a sudden he's saying, wait a minute here, you can't live in the no longer of Christ if you've met Christ and you've been transformed by the cross of Christ. But sometimes I'm wondering the way you look and the way you act if the cross has in any effect on your life at all. Because your now looks a lot like the now the, the no longer. <laughs> There isn't this separation. And so he's saying, I I don't want to assume that you've met Christ because maybe you haven't met Christ. Because if you've met Christ, if the cross has touched you, if Jesus has forgiven you, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, then your life is supposed to be different. You're supposed to walk changed because you are no longer this. You are something different. And there for a second, he's like, well, maybe you haven't been changed. Because you don't seem to be walking changed. It's like the little kid whose parent says, I want you to sit down. And they just stay standing and they say, I want you to sit down. I'm sitting in the inside. He's watching and he's concerned. Because he believes that the Word of God is, not, is so incredible, that the grace of God is so immense that it is not just supposed to be something that changes us on the inside, but it affects how we live our lives and how we walk them out. He says this then, at the end of verse 21, he says, as the truth is in Christ, this is what you need to do. You need to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The no longer part of our life we have to put off. We have to, we have to literally go through a process and saying, wait a minute here. I am no longer that anymore. I need to set that aside. That is not who I am. That is not who I am. It says, he goes on in verse 23 and he says this, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see this idea of of mind renewal several different places because see, Paul understood and we need to understand that if we want to change actions, that actions are tied to attitudes and our way of thinking and he says if you want to change how you think you've got to be renewed in your mind and you can't even do that yourself the spirit of god has to do that inside you that's what it says in romans chapter one do not be conformed to this world right but be transformed by the renewing of your mind We've got to let Jesus change our mind. You know, there are occasionally things that in our relationship, Nancy and I, she says, I think we should do this. And and I say, no, I think we should do this. And then she prays for the renewal of my mind. And all of a sudden, I'll come to her and I'll just go, hey, I've got this really great idea. And she'll go, what? And I'll name what she already said. And Nancy's really smart. She'll just go. That's a great idea, Jim. See, that's what God wants to do inside of us. He wants to renew our minds because our minds affect how we act. And if we have been acting a certain way for a long time, our minds are just automatically always taking us there. That's why we end up there. Have you ever moved and uh, you're... And, and it's the end of your day and you've moved and and you're driving and you automatically drive to your old house. <laughs> Have you ever done that? And, you re- and you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute here. I, I changed. I, I no longer live here. I live this other place. But in, in the tiredness of your mind, all of a sudden you find yourself driving down the road to where you used to be instead of going down the road to where you now live. He's telling us that we have to be renewed and we have to remember that we live in a different place now. Aren't you glad you live in a different place now? Huh? But occasionally, we forget that. So he says, now what do you need to do? You need to put on, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We get a new outfit. We're on a new team. I don't ever watch a professional athlete that goes to a new team just put on his new uniform over the old uniform. Have you ever seen that? No. They take off the old uniform. Put on the new uniform. And they're saying, you need to put on the new uniform because it's a cool uniform. Why is it? Because it was recreated after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. The new outfit's better. Now, some of you are creatures of habit. I have a couple things that are old that I just love. It's hard to put on the new, it's a little starchy. You know? There are reasons we can explain that we like the old, and we don't like the old because it was better, it's just what is familiar. So let's summarize this first part. We need to walk chains because we are are no longer our old self. We no longer live in the futility of our minds. We no longer are darkened. We no longer are alienated, ignorant, hard hearted, callous, sensual, greedy, impure, and corrupt. Are you glad not to be those things anymore? But now we have a new self. We're in Christ. We're spirit renewed. We're godly. We're righteous. And we're holy. But then he goes and he gives us a whole list of ways that we need to be putting on the old self. He says there's just several things about the old wardrobe (coughs) that I want to just take a closer look at here because I'm just concerned that you um, are using the new self as an accessory to the old self. Old shirt, new tie. You know? Same outfit, different earrings. He said, well, wait a minute here. I want to make sure you're you're completely making the wardrobe change. And so because of that, he, he gives us kind of a list of different things that we have to put off. Now, the interesting thing about this and I added the word renew in the middle of this, is because every single one of these things that's going to take place is a spiritual miracle in your life, and it's going to happen not because all of a sudden you become brilliant and you decide that I need to change. It's because the Spirit is at work inside of you, and He's bringing this renewal so that you will change. He is the one that's at work in you. You can't do this in your own self. You can't take a look at this list that we're going to come across over these nice couple of verses and say, I will no longer. Bang, 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 bang. Instead, I'm going to. It doesn't work that way. I like to think of it this way. It's just kind of a different way of thinking. It's just that all of a sudden we used to only have one option. We could only always go to destination A. That was all that we had. We lived in the futility and the darkness of our mind, and all we knew was this way. It was the only way. But all of a sudden, as the Spirit of God starts coming inside of you, all of a sudden, there's option B that just never had existed at all before in your life. And so that doesn't mean that you don't come to the fork in the road, and you have to decide, am I going to put off, or am I going to put on? You know, am I going to live the former way, or am I going to walk in newness? Am I going to be changed Or am I going to still end up down the same path? But this is a spiritual act. You can't all of a sudden just decide, I am no longer going to do this. I'm going to just stop it. That doesn't work. You have to ask God to change you and make you aware that there's this fork in the road so that you can over and over again surrender to trusting that His path is a better path for you. That's how you walk changed. It's a huge dialogue with the Lord. It's not because all of a sudden you decide to live better. It it doesn't work that way. If it worked that way, we'd all weigh seven pounds. We'd walk about 80 miles a week. And we wouldn't eat anything that tasted good. That's the reality. But life doesn't work that way. So this is what he says. Verse 25. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let us, each of us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. So we're going to put aside lying and falsehood, and we're going to begin speaking the truth. That's one of the changes that we're going to make. There's a lot of reasons why people lie. One of the main reasons people like is because they want people to like them. And so I'm going to make up this picture of who I am so that you will like me. And then I'm going to be really lonely because I am not that. So you're going to like a fake person instead of me. Have you ever thought about that? But God wants us to be truly loved. And so one of the first things that he tells us to put aside is falsehood. Verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no no opportunity to the devil. So the second thing that is a change that is the way we were before to who we are now is that he wants us to be angry differently. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say don't be angry. Have you noticed that? He says be angry and do not sin. So that means there's a rage that can exist that is out of control of the Spirit of God and is absolutely wrong. Some of you have worked for this person, right? (laughs) But then there's this other side. There's this righteous indignation. There is this sadness that you feel in the Spirit. There's this welling up inside of you that's saying, I am so sorry, God, that is not right. He's saying that that's good. And he explains to us how it works. You see, anger has to have a timeline, doesn't it? You have to be angry today, and you have to get over it today. If you sleep on anger, it turns into bitterness. And so anger has a timeline to it. The night before Nancy and I were married, I sat down with her and I said, Nancy, I believe there are going to be some times that we're not going to get along but I'm going to make this commitment to you. I don't know how late we're going to have to stay up at night, but we're never going to go to sleep angry. And we've stayed up pretty late some nights. But we haven't let anger fester by sleeping on it. He says, do not give an opportunity to the devil. Uh, In the NIV, it says, do not give the devil a foothold in your life bitterness, unresolved anger can lead to giving him a little bit more space. And so he wants you to be angry. You see, but we're supposed to put off rage and we're supposed to put on righteous indignation. See, here's the problem that we have in so many areas of our lives is that we think to be Christian, we have to just completely divorce ourselves from so many things in life that are natural that we're supposed to have a response to it's just that we're supposed to respond in a holy way you know it's kind of like the man will say to me i'm my 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 passions are going the wrong place so i i I pray that god will take away my passion i'm never going to pray that we're always supposed to have this deep well of emotion that drives us it's just where's it driving us I want God to redeem your passion. I don't want him to remove your passion. That's the same idea here. God wants to redeem anger in our life. Did Jesus get angry? Yes. Did he lay in bed three nights thinking about how the horrible things that were happening in the temple? No. It's, it, he went and he did the business of God and spoke with wrath against the garbage that was going on in the temple. And then it says, and then he left. And you don't see him getting up the next morning and saying, can you believe how they were doing those things in the temple? No. He knew that there had to be a timeline to anger. I think that it's interesting that one of the things that happened in my life is because of some of the damage I experienced as a kid, I I shut down a lot of my emotions. That's how I dealt with life. I decided the best way to deal with life is to have this much emotion. Okay? Okay. Not very high highs, not very low lows. And, and so I just, that was my way of trying to have self control in that area. But you know what? God redeemed me. And when God redeemed me, one by one, he gave me back emotion. Probably some of you would never understand this, but the former Jim never laughed. The former Jim never wept. The former Jim never got angry. But one by one, God gave those back to me. And then I had to learn how to do them right. I had to figure out, how, okay, God, how are we going to do this together? Because I didn't do it very well alone. In fact, I just didn't do it. But how will you redeem me? So God will renew these things in our lives. The next thing he says is this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need God wants to move us from greed to generosity isn't that great he he wants us to do honest work I think that we have to see the middle of that it says God wants us to work but he doesn't want us to cheat at working not working under the table we're working above the table and then he'll bless us in such a way that not only will we have enough, but we can, we can bless others by our labor. Do you know what part of the reason is that all of a sudden you can bless others by your labor? Is if you're a thief and you're a cheater, all you're thinking about is you. But as God changed you from a cheater to a hard worker, And an honest worker, all of a sudden you think about others. Think about some of the people that you know that cut corners all the time. Are they very good about thinking about anyone else? No. They are the idol of their lives. They are what they worship. It goes on and says this. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear uh, there's a shorter version of the first sentence there it's called gossip it gossip is when you talk about anybody and they're not there and we tend to when people aren't there and we're talking about them we tend to not talk about the best parts of people do we we talk about the things that are annoying and hard and frustrating I have met people however who even when people aren't around them they speak so well of those people. I love spending time with those people. They somehow fill me up even if they don't say a nice thing about me. There's something that they do but the others are kind of like a hoover vacuum cleaner and the longer that they speak negatively the more they suck the life out of me too. God is calling us to not be gossips but to be encouragers, to give grace to people, to be gracious to people, to bless people. That is what God's calling us to do. Sometimes it's it's huge, long letters and encouraging words, and sometimes it's a simple look and a gesture of encouragement. But our former life was not concerned about anybody other than us me he says you're no longer that now I want you to be different and it's going to show up in the words that you say I, I had a pastor that was really hard to work for and I had a really close friend and I would be really honest with him about how I felt and my words were not nice and God put me under great conviction and I was going through something and he showed up and he says, hey, we haven't talked in a while. And I looked at him and I said, I don't dare have a conversation with you. Because I give myself permission to speak corrupt words with you. And God no longer wants me to be that person. <laughs> and so we now we have to figure out how to have a different kind of relationship that doesn't revolve around being frustrated with someone make sense. What else are we supposed to put off? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what does this mean? It means you need to rename that little voice inside your head that you call your conscience because that isn't you. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to you and he's giving you suggestions. And he's telling you how to live this new life and how to change. And sometimes, without meaning to, you say to that voice that you think is you and just this little angel up here going, do the right thing. And you say to that voice, you say, I don't want to listen to you. I want to do what I want to do. That's too hard. That's too frustrating. That is impossible. I don't want to do that thing. I want to do what I want to do. And when we do that, all of a sudden, his ability to renew our mind ends. Because we're not listening. People, the scariest thing in the world, and I hope that you don't have to learn to recognize it well, but is to see the Holy Spirit leaving the room because you have grieved the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that that we need to be renewed by the Spirit, and yet there are times in our lives that out of our frustration, we just go, I want nothing to do with you. What you're asking is too hard. It is not preferred. I do not want to do it. Some of you are living in that world right now. You're living in the world where you have decided that there are some things that you want to just keep doing, even though they're supposed to be a part of the no longer of your life. And you've just told the Spirit, sorry, not listening. And He has left the room. The Holy Spirit has left the building. But if we put off the, I don't want to, and we say yes, and we trust God more, and we surrender to Him, He renews us. But he is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit never forces himself on you, he knows what's best. As we grow in relationships with people, sometimes we watch a person and we know that they want to say something. Have you ever had that experience? You just know they want to say something and they will say nothing because they know us so well that they know we're not going to listen. And so it's just easier not to say anything. That's a position we do not want to put the Holy Spirit in. Verse 31, he says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with malice. You could put all that under a simple heading, drama. Drama. That isn't who we're supposed to be. We're, we're not supposed to be people that, that, have you ever gone to a restaurant? I went to a restaurant the other day and the waitress was frustrated with the cook and someone else. And so I'm just trying to have a nice meal. It's nice out. I'm sitting on the patio. And she just starts dumping her life on me. Have you ever had that experience? The food just didn't taste as well that day. Drama. I am no longer a drama king because the spirit is renewing me. I'm no longer a drama queen because the spirit is renewing me. I'm no longer like all the bitter people in the town I'm from because the spirit is renewing me. I, I'm no longer like the grumpy people that that I deal with every day. Because why? Because the spirit is renewing me. And that's why you can be what is in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Because see, there is always some kind of transference that goes along with drama. Which is, if I'm having a bad day, then everybody else should have a bad day. (laughs) Have Have you met those people? And then so they give you a bad day, so then you go home and, and your husband or your wife or one of your kids says something that just in the smallest inkling sounds like that person that was having a bad day. And you just go down the throat of your, your loved one saying, you cannot say that. You wanted to say that all day, but you just couldn't. And so all of a sudden in the evening you say that because, especially as parents, When we hear it in our kids, we're just like, you cannot say that. I rebuke that spirit out of you because I don't want you to grow up and be like the person I had to work with today. Right? But God has given us this different spirit. And you've met those people. I think they work at the customer service desk, some of them. (laughs) They're just getting the worst of people and they're just so kind. That's what God has called us to do. God has called us. God, you, you forgave the worst of me. <laughs> so can you show me how to be kind to other people? So here's a summary. We're supposed to put away falsehood and rage and stealing and gossip and grieving the spirit and bitterness and wrath, clamor and slander and all malice. And we're supposed to put on the truth, righteous anger Sharing, generosity, encouragement, spirit renewed, kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. But this change, you can't do yourself. You just have to listen to the Spirit and continually say yes to the option that He's giving you. It means having to slow down and go... Wait a minute, God. I want my yes to be yes and my no to be no. I want to learn to walk this narrow road. But help me to understand that the road is never so narrow that I can't walk it. How do I set aside the no longer so I can experience the now that you have for me? How can I walk changed how will you renew me because the implications of being unchanged are more damage and more brokenness the opportunity of being renewed is greater wholeness and peace but the key is listening to the voice of God Creating a to do list. You understand the difference? God, show me how I can walk changed. Spirit is speaking to you right now and He's saying these are some no-longers I want to deal with. Maybe it's two or three. Maybe it's just one. Speak to Him now and ask Him how He wants to change you. God, I pray that we'd be more aware of your voice, more willing to listen to it, more willing to live inside these new options instead of the old preferences. God, that we'd be willing to put off instead of trying to put over. God, you want to transform us and we are thankful for that. So show us how to walk changed. Now, I, like Paul today, as your heads are still bowed, can't make the assumption that everybody in this room has already asked Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. I can't assume that you're all in this battle of no longer to now. And Paul was concerned about that even as he wrote these words. And so my question to you is, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord? If that's where you're at, you haven't even begun this relationship, and your life is just no longer, I encourage you to ask Jesus to be your personal Savior today. You can use simple words like this prayer that I'm going to pray in just a second. And those can help you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to realize that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and you need someone to forgive you. And Jesus will forgive you. That simple prayer goes like this Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I need you to be my Savior. Help me to live by the moving of your spirit in me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. If you pray that simple prayer today, you need to let someone know. We would love to be someone that knows that so we can help you with your next steps so that you can learn to live this changed life. Dear God, God, Help us, help us all to live changed. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, there's a yellow card right in front of you. You fill that out and you hand that to me or one of the musicians uh, or one of the people that are going to be up here during the prayer time uh, so we can help you in this walk with Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come. If there's somebody that we can pray for you today, um, that would be our privilege and Charlie and will lead us in a last song together.